You're listening to the Nick Ant Podcast, a podcast that dives into the lives and stories of creatives, entrepreneurs, and outdoor enthusiasts. My name is Nick Amp, and I'm a filmmaker and photographer best known for documenting stories in the mountains. We sit down with guests to uncover where they pull inspiration from, dig into their experiences in the outdoor industry, and find a ton of actionable inspiration from their adventures in life. Welcome to episode 12. We have another special guest on today on the Nick Amp podcast. He's an outdoors filmmaker, photographer, you may know him for his adventure videos, but recently he just did a documentary called The Backyard Bears featuring the Tahoe Black Bears. It was an epic film. If you haven't watched it already, highly recommend watching that. He's on Instagram. He's known as Roaming with Riley, but he goes by Riley McClary. That is his name. Riley, pleasure to have you on today. And how are you doing so far, man, over there in Hawaii? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Hawaii's, Hawaii's been great so far. It's nice to escape the cold weather um, and be in, in a warm tropical environment for a little bit. Yeah, man, normally you're in Tahoe, so I mean, this is definitely a change up from the previous winters probably, right? Definitely, yeah. Um, so pretty much the last few years I've been pretty nomadic. I was living in a van for a while, uh, but uh, Tahoe is kind of home base, uh, but in the winters I would kind of leave in the van and kind of go where it was a little bit warmer um so i've never really been a huge winter person so um yeah winters were usually spent kind of seeking warmth um but this year i really kind of took that to another level and i've been out here for for a few months um and it's been a good decision because tahoe has been getting absolutely pounded with snow um so i'm glad i'm out here (laughs) It sure has, man. I mean, there's, you can't spend it the wrong way in Maui like that. Uh-huh. So normally on this podcast, we ask our guests the first general question, who are you? So for you, who is Riley McCleary? How did this adventure all start for you, man? Yeah. Um, all right. I'll try to keep it short. But so I'm Riley. Um, I... I'm a filmmaker and photographer. Um, I'm kind of diving a lot more into the wildlife space, wildlife conservation space these days. Um, but I kind of got my start when I was about 14. I was doing a lot of like mountain biking and like adventure sports stuff. And I just kind of got a GoPro um, and started taking that on all my little adventures with my friends. And that kind of developed into getting a new camera. And I started out by filming weddings and was doing like weddings throughout high school. And then I got a job at a media company in Tahoe, um, like when I was a junior and we were doing a lot of adventure sports, mountain biking, skiing, all that stuff. Uh, So I was doing a lot of that kind of filming. Um, And then with all that knowledge that I was learning from that production company and everything, I kind of took that into creating my own business and getting my own kind of gigs with companies in the outdoor industry. Um, so that kind of sums up that amount of time until recently when I kind of started to transition into the wildlife space. Um, and that was about, that was in 2022. So that was however many months ago, I'm still definitely kind of in the beginning stages of moving, moving over, but, um, it's been a fun journey so far and I'm excited to be where I am now. So you started this back in when you were 14 years old, 
like most kids at that age, when they enter in the creative space, we get a GoPro. Yeah. I mean, one of the easiest ways to enter into that atmosphere. Back then, were you just trying to document things or were you already trying to create stories like you do now? Uh, I would say back then I was kind of just trying to just document whatever we were doing, whatever whatever stuff we were getting into, uh, mountain biking, riding scooters, and just kid stuff. Um, so I w- it was definitely more of just like raw, just documenting whatever, and then just kind of eye-moving it all together into random videos with like EDM music behind it. <laughs> Um, but that definitely like kind of sparked my love for cameras. Um, and then that kind of took me to where I am now. At what point did you even know that this was what you wanted to do for a career? Uh, I would say pretty early on, uh, I would like when I got my first real camera, it was the a 6,000, the Sony a 6,000. Um, and that like, as soon as I got that, I was like, how can I start to like, make money with this i never really wanted to get a job at like a coffee shop or something that like some of my friends would have been doing at the time Mm -hmm. um so i started to do weddings and that's kind of how i started to initially make money with it and then i was like i just want to do this like i don't want to do anything else and i wanted to combine my love for the outdoors and nature with the camera stuff because it was like those were like my two big passions at the time um and so I was just kind of doing anything I could to merge those two together into a career. Man, I've never done a wedding before, but I've heard stories that it was, they're stressful. So I'm sure transitioning to what you actually wanted to do quickly on was very nice. I mean, yeah, you're known definitely. for, at least I remember the videos I've seen, you do tight roping videos. Do you, is that something that you still <laughs> want to continue doing? doing those adventure videos or is it full on wildlife mode now? Yeah. So the action extreme sports world, um, was something that is still like, I'm still very involved in that, in that world right now. Um, I don't do as much filming and documenting of all that kind of stuff. That's kind of more just like what I do in for fun and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the wildlife stuff, uh-huh. like I've always had a love for wildlife growing up. Animals were always such a big part of like my life. Um, and I kind of went through this transition where I wanted to start making more of a difference in what I was doing with the camera. Um, so I was like, I can just tie in my love for animals and my passion for wildlife and the environment and the natural world and start making films that push messages to help conserve and protect uh, all the different animals and environments that I love so much. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that really answers answers your question, but yeah, the highlining stuff, um, that kind of, I got into that whole world uh, when I initially moved to Tahoe. Um, I met a bunch of people that were doing a lot of highlining and cliff diving and stuff like that. Um, and I kind of just immersed myself into that. And that's such like a, unique activity highlining um it is just such a mind mental game like you can walk a slack line in a park all day um and it's essentially the same thing but when you take it up three thousand feet above yosemite valley you're it's just like such a mental game and uh 
that's it's, it's such like a fun like challenge challenge on the body and on the brain um so yeah you're definitely daring man for those of you listening if you don't know what we're talking about go on his instagram page and scroll back a bunch on his reels and look for the videos where he's highlighting he even documented one of them one time on a stories in tahoe where he climbed up these mountain summits and how he got the line across the up to the other side that was an epic part i remember watching you when you were posting about that and I don't know, man. I know a lot of people, at least in the photography space, I feel like are not that adventurous. <laughs> and I bet for you at that point was probably fun to document because you were doing something a little bit different than most people. What was, and you were saying that was just all for fun, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I like, yeah, that was, that was just kind of, passion i was just going out with my friends and doing a cool adventure um yeah so you recently just posted or probably a couple months back now but you posted the backyard bears documentary featuring the black bears in tahoe and you mentioned briefly that you wanted to make a difference with what you're doing with your camera so what was the reasoning behind the backyard bears to be your first initial documentary on animals yeah uh so come 2022 it was kind of like the turning point where i was getting kind of burnt out of what i was doing and um i just wanted to to use my skills with the camera to to like make a difference as cliche as it sounds but um so i moved to tahoe in 2020 after high school i graduated high school in 2020 moved to to lake tahoe and that's when i kind of like i had been going to tahoe my whole life i grew up in sacramento just outside of tahoe um so i've been spending a lot of time in the mountains and in tahoe my whole life and i knew of the black bears in the area but i didn't really know that there was a huge problem with human wildlife conflict until i moved up there and i saw it for the first time when there was a bear walking in front of my in front of my apartment um this huge huge black bear like way overweight um, and I followed him down and he went and got into a dumpster and I was like, this isn't right. Like this, like, what are we doing to these incredible animals? Um, so it was like then where I really like wanted to, to make a film about the Tahoe bears, but, um, it kind of took like two years of traveling and doing some other stuff where, which kind of led me to um building up all the the storytelling skills and knowledge with cameras and everything to get to the point where i was like all right i'm gonna do it and then in 2022 i kind of like put most things aside like i was doing a lot of uh video editing for some media companies in tahoe which kind of allowed me to spend all my time out in the wild looking for bears um, when it was daylight and then i could work at night when it was dark um, so I spent a good like six, seven months, um, out spending like all my time with bears. Like I kind of cut out and like all social life kind of pretty much everything and everything was focused on the bears and learning their behavior and tracking them and just like trying to document anything that I could to tell their story, um, in the way that I wanted to. Um, I think I put in about like 60 or so days where I actually got footage of bears. Um, 
and then so many others where I just got completely skunked and didn't didn't find anything. Um, but that's kind of like where the idea originated and then kind of how I began production and started the filming of it. To dive into your video a little more in the depth, you said you started tracking these bears for six months, six to seven months, and only 60 days of that you actually got footage. Did you learn better skills how to track the bears? How did you even go about knowing where to look for them? Yeah, so I would say the first the first two months is kind of where I didn't get anything. Um, and I was just kind of aimlessly wandering around the woods looking for bears. Um, I could find them occasionally in town um, doing the dumpster stuff. Uh, but I wasn't having a whole lot of success at the beginning until I started to kind of learn their routines and behaviors. Like the the bears that are the urbanized population that are in town, that pretty much eats trash for a living. Um, they really are kind of on a schedule. And I could, towards the end, like after like following them around for so long, I could pretty like consistently go out to specific dumpsters and find the same individual bears on their same loop around town every day. Um, so once I kind of figured out those routines and patterns, um, it became a lot easier. And then the same kind of thing for the bears out in the wild as well. Um, I was finding like different spots that they like to hang out and I was figuring out why they liked to hang out there. So then like once I kind of figured out those patterns again like I could predict where they were going to be when they were going to be there and I was getting that system a lot more dialed in as it as it kind of went along um, so then I was pretty successful for a while like finding bears and then come like October when I was trying to film the the salmon run scene with the bears fishing for salmon that was another scene yeah. where I, I went like a month without getting anything. And I was going out sunrise to sunset every wow. single day. Um, and I didn't get anything because the salmon weren't going up because uh, the water levels were too low. Um, so that was like a month in the making of just like nothing and nothing and nothing. And then all of a sudden one day the salmon went up, one family of bears came down once in the morning and then I stayed, they left. And then they came back once again in the afternoon. And that's when I got all that footage for that, for that scene. Um, and then a storm rolled in the next day and put the bears away for the winter for for the most part. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a long process, but it was super fun and I learned so much uh, in that whole that whole process. Yeah, man, following anything for six months, you're gonna learn their patterns. And one thing that surprised me, I had no idea that bears eat five thousand calories in the summertime. So you mentioned something called hyperphagia uh -huh. so before they go to bed for the winter they start eating more and what was that like experiencing watching them increase their appetite during those months yeah so so yeah so bears black bears they eat about five thousand calories a day throughout the, the summer um but then come the fall when it's nearing winter they start packing on 20,000 calories a day plus. Um, so they're just in like a complete feeding frenzy wow. all day, every day they're eating. Um, and that's like what I really 
noticed more was the bears that were in town. Like I would see, like I would probably count like eight to 10 bears in town every single day, like in some specific neighborhoods that I would go that really had a, had a problem. Um, and they were just gorging themselves the entire day. Um, I like that throughout that time, I was also spending a lot of time at the river, uh, where the salmon were running or or supposed to be running because that's another huge food source for the bears that are, that are out eating natural food sources. Um, so I was kind of bouncing back in between, uh, the salmon run and in town, getting all the, the in town shots. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. The amount of calories they can pack on, um, in a day. And that's why like the trash is so like rewarding and appealing to them is that they can get 20,000 calories in an hour. Whereas if they're out foraging for food, it's going to take them the whole entire day. So it's like, if it's available, why, why not take advantage of it? Um, so that's kind of the problem I was highlighting in that, in the film. So Riley, I spend most of my time in Kings Canyon national parks, the Cory national park and the Serena national forests. And the black bears over there are one, not as big as the ones in Tahoe. And two, <laughs> they're still more afraid of people from what I've encountered myself. I mean, I've encountered bears a lot out there. Uh-huh. And when I went to Tahoe, I camped on some BLM land out there. I don't know what it was. It was some type of national forest land. And there was a, one bear that was scavenging through someone's truck because he left it open. Yeah, and that was the biggest bear I'd ever seen in my entire life in the black bear ter- black bear species. Matter. So when I in your, in your video, you featured the bear literally opening the trash can. I did not know that it was that intelligent or capable of opening trash cans like that. In your yeah. opinion, what are some ways that businesses can help improve keeping the the food away from bears? So, so yeah, bears are, they're super talented in their, um, door opening and trash can opening, um, skills, uh, door car doors. They can open those as well. They can't do the ones where you have to slide your hand in sideways, but the ones with the handles where you hold up, where you can go under like this, they can just open up car doors like that. Um, they can open up doors to your houses. They can, they can do whatever. Um, and if they can't open up a door to your house, they can for sure bash through it and break it down, especially some of the 600 pounders that we have in Tahoe. Um, but, uh, getting back to your question, um, the, the businesses throughout the Tahoe basin, pretty much all of their dumpsters can be locked. They have like this locking system with a carabiner and a chain that has this latch that goes over and then you can lock it with the carabiner and the bears can't open up the carabiner. Um, so the dumpsters can be locked. It's just the human error of being too lazy and irresponsible to close the latch and lock and lock the dumpster. Um, that's like most of the dumpsters are that way. Some of the dumpsters just aren't locking at all. So, those businesses need to get on the train of getting a, a dumpster that can be locked. Um, but then it, it all just goes back to, to like the ease of use. Like if the dumpster, if it takes too much effort to lock it, 
it's just not gonna not gonna get done. Um, and then for the uh, for the residential streets and the residential trash cans, um, a lot of a lot of houses have these bare bins that they put the trash cans in, and then on trash day the 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 trash crew will come and open up those those bins, take the trash cans out, and dump them. Um, so you'll see a lot of those throughout town, but not everyone has them. And a lot of people just have normal trash cans that they put out every trash day. And, um, the bears know, know the schedule. They know what day the trash, trash is coming. Like even in the winter time, you'll see, like I'm seeing videos all the time from my friends where, um, on trash days, the bears know, and they like, they don't even hibernate anymore in top. Like they just sleep for for six days or whatever, and they come out on trash day, and walk the streets and eat a bunch of trash, and then go back and nap for a little bit. Uh, so they're so smart, and like once they know like where and how to get to get that food reward, they're they're just gonna keep doing it as long as it's still available. Um, so it's really up to up to us as as humans to take a little bit more responsibility and like and just like do what's right for the bears and it's not even just for the bears it's like they make a mess right and then the wind blows trash goes everywhere plastics in the lake plastics mm-hmm. everywhere um so it's not even just like the bears like that's the beginning of it but um but it's like it's a whole it's a whole deal um and it all kind of comes down to to us and and the responsibility that we need to take to to fix it you answered one of my questions I was going to ask you if I guess it's the top people who ever govern Tahoe Basin, if they are applying pressure to businesses to taking responsibility to locking up their bins, I would think that they would be applying more pressure there, but it sounds like the residential areas are taking care of business. I don't know. You, you've lived in Tahoe. Is this something that's talked about in terms of putting pressure on businesses? It's definitely, it's definitely talked about. Um, and there's some numbers that you can call to like report businesses that aren't securing their trash properly, but it's just, it's not enforced. Um, there's no fines. Like it's not, it's not enforced. So, um, yeah, there needs to be some sort of change on the, on that level to, to, to make a difference. And, um, with the, the bear documentary, I'm like talking to some people about getting in in front of some government, government officials and, um, going to some different community events and talking about it and um, just doing whatever we can to, to push the message and try to make, make some sort of change. Well, I was happy to see a local newspaper, the Placerville newspaper and Active NorCal to give your documentary some attention. Has there been uh, people other reaching out to you and talking about it? Yeah. Trying to help you out in this endeavors? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the documentary has been doing really well. Um, I've, there's a few local Tahoe newspapers and magazines that have published some stuff on it. And, um, so that, that kind of helped get a lot of recognition in the Tahoe basin. Um, and then, uh, I've been submitting to a bunch of different film festivals. I'll be in, in Montana, uh, next month from the 22nd to the 27th at the international wildlife film festival. Um, if anyone wants to, to come say what's up and watch the film, I'll be there. Um, and then, Come October, I'll, I'll be in New York for for another film festival, um, showcasing it as well. Um, I've got it submitted to a few other ones that I'm waiting to hear back for or from. Uh, but yeah, it's been doing really well. I've been getting a lot of 
a lot of good feedback and um, a lot of eyes on it, which was the whole goal is to just get as many people to see it as possible and just spread the word. Um, Cause I feel like it's not talked about enough and I'm hoping that this kind of changes that. Yeah, man, you mentioned even that these bears get euthanized because they become dangerous to us, the people because we didn't take responsibility in the first place. So I don't know if this even crosses your mind. Probably did. Obviously you talked about the documentary, but you have many tourists who are coming to Tahoe from all from all over the States. So these bears could be potentially attacking these tourists who are on the hiking trails as well. Right. Yeah. And like, so attack black bear attacks on on humans are super rare, right? But it's more of um, it's more of like they're getting so used to people being around. They're so used to connecting humans with food, right? So bears start they mm-hmm. start breaking into cars. Yeah. They start breaking into people's houses. And a situation where a, a, the bear only knows the way that it came in to get out, right? So if a bear gets in through a window into someone's right. house and they're in their fridge um, and someone comes down and is blocking that window, that bear is now trapped in its exit. The only way that it knows to get out is blocked. It freaks out and it doesn't have anything else to do. So it just does what a bear does. And unfortunately that's pretty taxing on humans with their claws. Like we've got soft skin. So um, a, a bear can do a lot of damage to someone. Um, so it's just like this, this problem of the, the trash just leads to, leads to a whole bunch of different things. And even out hiking on trails and stuff, like there's some places in Tahoe that get a lot, a lot of kind of tourist attraction, especially in the fall, um, with, with salmon and the bears eat the salmon. So people come to see the salmon and there's bears all over the place. And people don't realize Uh that like, it almost feels like a zoo, like there's a boardwalk and it feels so like not wild where people are like going up and trying to take selfies with bears and like trying to like, it's just, people don't realize that they're wild animals. Like they are so comfortable around people, but that's because they're like so used to people being around. They're so used to like being in like surrounded by people all the time so they're they're comfortable around people which isn't like typical for a black bear black bears are really skittish and really afraid of people like you said in other parts of of the country like a black bear should run for the hills and climb a tree as soon as it sees a person yeah but in tahoe they're they're so used to people being around and it's almost like they don't feel as as wild as 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 they are and so people don't really respect that and um it like they put themselves in in bad situations um and yeah it all it all comes down to the end result being the bears get euthanized um and it's not their fault like they're just trying to do their own thing we're encroaching on their habitat and um we need to we need to respect that and give them the respect and space that they deserve they're wild animals. I mean, we're the higher intelligent beings. I had no yeah. idea that people also came to Tahoe to see the salmon. I thought that was just his own thing that 
bears were able to hunt in peace. But it makes sense. I mean, yeah, we'll go fishing out there. So are they are they just viewing the salmon or are they fishing for the salmon as well? Yeah, so there you're not allowed to fish for the salmon um, at this time of year during the salmon run. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, so there's like this place that people go to to see the salmon. You can like go to this like underwater thing and like look at them through glass and and see the salmon and stuff. And like people don't necessarily go there for bears, but um, but sometimes there are bears around and um, yeah, and then it just people don't really realize the the danger involved like black bears aren't like necessarily like obviously they're dangerous they can do they can do a lot of damage but like they're not they're not out to get people they're not like black black bear attacks on humans are so 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 rare but it's when they get so habituated to humans and like food conditioned like when people feed them they start like they start like pairing humans with food and then all of a sudden like that kind of breaks that barrier of fear and can lead to potentially dangerous situations um so there is places that the bears right. can go and and kind of be away from people with and eat salmon um but kind of like the, the hot spots are are kind of where this this center is where people go a lot so um yeah we just kind of find a balance yeah man i mean i'm way more terrified if I was to encounter a cougar in the mountains Oh yeah. instead of seeing a oh, black yeah. bear. I'd rather see a black bear 10 times out of 10, man, because I yeah. do all the sunrise hikes. So, I mean, the uh-huh. likelihood of me seeing a cougar in the morning is very high as well. And yeah. I would rather it be a big old bear making monster sounds than a cougar who can sneak <laughs> up behind you. Yeah, for sure. I feel like with the mountain lion, though, if you if you see it, your, your chances of having um, a bad encounter with it go down drastically. Um, it's kind of the, the ones that you don't see. Um, but, but yeah, for sure. Uh, I would, I would rather, I would rather spend time with, with black bears any day, but mountain lions are a huge fascination of mine. And I'm definitely looking to, to, to find some at some point. So to document, um, but that, that'll be something that will involve a little bit more, um, research and, and time. Yo, that's going to be epic, man. So Going into this documentary, what can some what are some things that you can share that you've learned about the wildlife industry in terms of film filming them? What did you learn that you didn't know at the beginning of this? Um I I would say I I thought that the wildlife space like I kind of knew already that in order to make like a, a, a full film about an animal, you need to spend an absurd amount of time out filming to, to piece together a story. Like I have some, like all the different scenes throughout the film are all like individual bears. Like the original, the, like the first scene is like a family of a mom with two cubs and it kind of goes through with them for like a minute and a half or so. And that like, I encountered that family like five to six times in order to get the shots for that one little scene. And it's like a lot of the wildlife space. It's like, it looks like it's one day, like that all this stuff is happening, but it's like, you take 
one you get one shot one day of a bear walking and then two weeks later you find that same bear and you get it doing something else and then like it takes so so many days out there to actually piece together a sequence and a story with an individual animal um and i kind of knew knew that going in but um but it really like it's it that was really something like definitely a learning process um and took a lot of time to to build sequences out for sure did you ever feel like it tested your patience oh yeah oh yeah um like especially the salmon the salmon scene um because it was like yeah like a month a month of me just sitting there um getting absolutely nothing um well I got the the whole bald eagle scene was was shot when when I was waiting for bears to show up. Um but so that that scene also took like a few different days of encountering the bald eagles uh to put together just that one like hunt. Um it was probably like 3 days worth worth of footage where I got a takeoff on one day and then I got the the hit of it catching the salmon on one day and then I got some other B-roll of it flying another day and then you put all that together into one uh into one scene and it, and it all flows together um but yeah like towards the end of end of october i was getting pretty impatient it was getting cold the the snow had already started coming um and i was living in my van so um van life in the snow isn't necessarily super ideal um, so at, at, towards the end of October, I was getting pretty impatient, but then all that time kind of paid off, um, one day and like the first week of November when it all kind of came together. So for those people who may not have that much experience in the documentary industry of filmmaking, was there, is there any other recommendations in terms of gear that you recommend them using? when they're going out to do something like this? Yeah. So I feel like the documentary space is such a broad, such a broad industry. Um, in my case, my, like this documentary, there's no people in it. There's no interviews in it. Like, so it's, it was, I feel like it was a lot more bare bones than, than, um, than what a typical documentary would look like where you're setting up a bunch of different interviews with people and everything like that. I did all the voiceovers in just like in a closet with a, with a microphone. Um, but, uh, like my gear for, for that, for that film was essentially just, um, I shoot on the FX three now, but when I started the film, I was shooting on the a seven four. So I was shooting with the a seven four with the 100 to 400. And that's pretty much like the entire film is shot with the 100 to 400 on the a seven four. Um, and then a Satchler tripod, um, with a video head on it. Um, and then throughout filming, I started picking up a little bit more gear, monitors, uh, cages and kind of started building out a little setup. And then, um, the, the ending scene was all shot on the FX3 with the Sony 200 to 600. Um, uh, that's kind of where I ended up, um, towards the end of the film, as far as gear went, um. But yeah, most of that was shot on the seven four. It performed great. I loved the way that it turned out. Shot a lot of it in four K sixty with a little bit of that crop that the A seven four puts in. Yeah. Um, so that helps with wildlife getting as close as possible to them. 
uh, without kind of affecting their behavior. Um, but again, with the Tahoe bears, you can kind of get pretty close to them and they're kind of unbothered, uh, which, which isn't the best, but, um, but yeah, it definitely made it easier to, to get those nice close up shots. So for your sounds, were you recording the natural sounds in the real time events or were those more post production sound design work? Yeah. So the, the whole film is all in post as far as sound design goes. Um, so that was a whole uh-huh. mix of, of using epidemic sound and art list and then also recording my own sounds. Yeah. So like filling up a bathtub and recording splashing in the in the bathtub or or some of the chewing stuff i would give my dog like something to chew on and i would get up close to his mouth and have him chew on something that had like some moisture in it to make to get that like salmon like chewing sound or just like random stuff like it sound design so fun because you can just kind of like start thinking of crazy things to start making sounds like finding sounds for animals on those like uh, music platforms like epidemic sound and art list is pretty hard to find like the right sound like you can get some footsteps and some right. like some stuff but in order to really get like the right sound for a lot of things you gotta kind of make them yourself um, so then that's where the creativity comes in where you're like flopping books in front of your microphone to get like a bird flopping sound or or yeah, like getting rocks and like covering them in like fabric and then getting like a gravel like kind of area and like making your own footsteps with like, it's really fun. Like that was honestly like one of the, like it was such a cool experience to like make a bunch of cool sounds for it. Um, so yeah. Well, that just goes to show how important sound is to the overall video. I mean, that goes into pushing the story forward was... Mm-hmm. Sound design something that you were familiar with before the documentary? Uh, a little bit. Um, like I would just it was more like I would put like ambient sounds in in my in my videos, like the sound of a waterfall or the sound of the ocean waves and stuff like that. Like I had never really dove into like specific like like really in depth sounds, but um, but yeah, like this whole film was such a cool learning experience and um, it was just so new, new to me. And yeah, it was a, it was a really fun process and I learned a lot in a bunch of different ways. Creating those sounds by yourself. I mean, what was your thought process? You scroll on epidemic sound art list. I've been through those and I, I know how they look and it is hard to find sounds in your thought process. Well, you, were you just thinking, well, I have to create my own sounds or were you just kind of stumped in like, what do I do? Yeah. So like I would scroll epidemic sound in our list constantly trying to find sounds, but a lot of the animal stuff, it just wasn't, wasn't right. Or you just can't find any sounds for bears or sounds for, for different, like weird behaviors that you can't really pinpoint what the sound would be. Um, so that's when I kind of started researching, like, what do, what do the guy, what do the, what do people do for like the planet earth documentaries and, and all that stuff. And you can find on YouTube and stuff yeah. like the Foley artists that make those sounds for, for those films. 
And yeah. it was like, I went down this whole rabbit hole of watching all these like behind the scenes videos of people making sounds for, for wildlife documentaries. And that kind of inspired a lot of what I, what I did for, for the sounds. Uh, but then even on epidemic sound and art list, you can like find different sounds. Like there's a, there's a sound where the bear rips off like a bunch of skin off of a salmon. And, um, I used yeah. like, I used like a paper tearing sound off of epidemic sound and I just like added some effects oh, yeah. to it, uh, to make it sound a little bit more like salmon flesh. Uh, but then, yeah, but you can start, you, you can use sounds that like wouldn't necessarily be for that specific thing, but you can kind of tweak them and, and like add slow motion and different effects to them to make them sound right. Um, so it was super fun. That is epic, Riley. To go into a little more detail, just how did you get better at telling stories? I feel like a lot of new videographers and filmmakers they get to a point where they understand how to take pretty videos but then that's as far as it goes yeah where did you go to start learning how to improve the actual overall story beginning middle and end videos yeah i think um it all comes with with time like putting as much time and actually doing it as much as possible you'll start to kind of to kind of like get the feelers for everything but then as far as for wildlife goes in the conservation wildlife conservation film space like i knew what the problem was the problem was the bears are food conditioned to human food and like they're getting into trash cans that was the problem and then i then i had to look for what's causing the problem so then I figured out what was causing the problem. And then you got to figure out like what the potential solution would be. And then from there, you kind of try to piece together the story. But with wildlife, it's hard because you can't tell a bear to go sit over there and say a line, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, so it, it all kind of changes throughout the filming process. But I kind of knew what, what story I wanted to tell. And then as I spent time out there documenting things and getting different footage, I was like, okay, this foot, this footage will be great to help tell this story. And this footage will be great to add this to the story. Um, so I think like going into something with a story in mind, but then like allowing the flexibility to, to make changes and tweaks along the way is super important. Um, and yeah, I think it just like, defining what what the problem is and why it's happening and what the potential solution would be um is super important just as the bare essentials of a story you know um and then like having the skills and knowledge of the camera and being able to take beautiful beautiful images um that'll just help aid the storytelling process but if you don't have a good story um all those those skills with the with the camera and taking beautiful beautiful videos um uh won't won't do it justice so you gotta have a good story and yeah it just goes back to story is king <laughs> i feel like most filmmakers videographers i mean you said you were getting burnt out i've heard this story before from other filmmakers they get burnt out because they're just taking pretty videos 
and they feel like they're not doing anything with their skills they have. <laughs> so you get to a point that you have those skills, you built them up, but now you want something more out of what you're doing. Yeah. And that's great that you were able to make this more known about bears. I'm sure working with humans is probably a lot easier. I remember you doing a little documentary or film. You were following these guys doing gainers <laughs> off in Oregon in the NorCal area. What was that all about? I wasn't sure. You didn't really post about it too much. What was yeah. that for? Back that then? was that was that was just for fun. Um, I so like growing up, growing up, um, growing up near near Tahoe and kind of in the Northern California area. I got into cliff jumping pretty yeah. pretty young, and um, then when I moved to Tahoe, there's a huge community of like super rad cliff jumpers there um that are doing insane stuff um so i kind of got in with that community and um i've filmed a lot of cliff jumping um throughout the earlier years um i was doing some different films for some contests and just for fun in my free time going out with friends and whatever but but yeah this like whole crew of these young young super talented cliff jumpers were we're gonna do this trip up through oregon to hit like all the most insane waterfalls and the biggest waterfalls in Oregon. Um, yeah. and I was like, I, I have some free time. I'm going to, I'm going to come with you guys and document it all. Um, so yeah, we did this whole road trip throughout Oregon and hit like all the, all the waterfalls that you see on Instagram, but like you just see photos of the waterfalls. Yeah. Like they were doing like triple flips yeah. and like crazy stuff off of them. Um, so that was super super fun like documenting stuff like that is just so mind-blowing um the way that they use their skills as athletes and like the beauty of mother nature together is like super cool um so that was a super fun a super fun project but that was just that was just for fun and i had some free time so made that trip happen so at that point when i saw those videos i was only purely a photographer at that time and Honestly, those videos inspired me to shift over to the video side more because I started with video back when I was in high school. So seeing your videos, realizing like you can tell these epic stories even better than through photos. Mm -hmm. You can like do a live action video like that. And I was like, dude, those are epic. What kind of cameras, man, were you using for capture those ones jumping off the cliffs? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So with yeah with video you can like it's just so much easier and more engaging to tell to tell stories with i feel like at least from my perspective um and like half the adventure is what it took to get there and what it takes to to, to make the stuff happen like in in the situation with the cliff jumping uh, like it's not as easy as just going up there and jumping off a cliff like these guys are professionals they have it so dialed mm -hmm. in they depth check the water they like do all they put all these measures in to to make it as safe as possible and um uh -huh. like that's that's the story it's like people have seen people jumping off the cliffs before but like to to tell the the story of like how they're actually doing it what like they're doing it in a really like safe way and professional way um i think video is such a such a key tool for that and I was using pretty much the, the same camera equipment. I was using the A7 IV, um, 100 to 400. 
Tamron 2875, 1728, um, uh, the Sony a7 III. I probably use, use that a little bit as well to get a second angle. And then GoPros, um, I, I use GoPros all the time for, for a lot of stuff. Um, the GoPro Max, the 360 camera is super crucial for, I, I, it's such a cool tool for cliff jumping because you can throw it off a cliff with them and have it falling next to them the entire time. And then in post, you can reframe it to keep them oh. right in the center of the frame. So it's like, I got, I got some sweet stuff with that. Um, so yeah, GoPros are super key. And then, uh, I've been a Sony guy, my, my whole journey. So all the Sony cameras and, uh, DJI drones as well. Uh, I think all the drone stuff in that video was the air two. Um, and then now I'm on the, the Mavic three. Uh, I'm not sure. If I remember videos seeing you jump off with them, but did you jump up any of those waterfalls with them? Uh I, I dabble in cliff jumping. Um for for that trip I, I didn't do a whole lot of jumping. I was mostly behind the camera. Uh, but I can do I can do some stuff off of right. cliffs. Um I kinda I my biggest jump is sixty eight feet. Um and that's kind of the the cap of what I what I'm probably gonna do. Um I can do a couple a couple yeah. tricks, but, but nothing, nothing compared to what these young kids are doing. And, um, yeah, I choose to kind of yeah let them, um, take the spotlight there and I'm happy, happy documenting them. Right. Dude, my biggest jump was 50 feet and I, I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> we had this swimming hole up in our, in our hills and mountains and you have to use a rope to climb up to get yeah, to sweet. the top of this waterfall and the way the the way the slope is it's not like a just a cliff it goes like this so you have to get a running start and get over uh, the yeah. hump to get into the water <laughs> and you have to hit the the pool perfectly yeah. bro and kid you not i'm 18 years old never jumped in my life and all my buddies want to go do it because that's the cool swim, swimming hole you jump off into yeah so i couldn't imagine jumping off the heights that they were jumping off do you know what was the tallest height they jumped from yeah um 105 feet um was was the max oh. on that trip uh so that was um that was a waterfall a waterfall in oregon 100 the the waterfall itself was like like 99 or 100 feet um but then the ledge that they were jumping off was five feet higher than that um so yeah, that, that was gnarly. It's like three, three plus seconds in the air. Um, and like some of these kids are, were 15 years old, dude, doing like triple flips off of a hundred plus feet. Like it's, it's mind blowing the talent that these kids have. Yeah. Dude, you've had your fair share of experiences. I mean, bears, cliff jumping. Now you guys, you're doing this YouTube series on wildlife animals. And I wanted to touch on that just a little bit. I felt like I turned on your one about the lynx while I was eating in and out with my girlfriend after one of our trips because I wanted to show her like what you do. And I felt like I was watching Animal Planet, bro. That's what I felt like I was doing like the hunt, like the when it's going to go get the the prey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I bet there's a lot of people who don't know that you put a lot of work into that film in what are the motivations behind documenting all these other animals yeah so um 
so like I said before, I'm very much at the beginning of, of my kind of journey into the wildlife conservation space. Um, the backyard bears was a huge kind of jump into the industry. Like I was like, I need to, I, I need something to show for myself. Um, and it was an important story that I really wanted to tell. So that was kind of my leap into, into the industry. And then this YouTube series, uh -huh. like this is kind of like this YouTube series is, is all about wildlife and conservation. It's about each episode's about a new species and um, it kind of takes you through like it's like a narrated wildlife documentary for part of it. It's a little bit of behind the scenes and what goes into finding the animals and filming them. And then it kind of ties in some conservation stuff at the end. Um, and the goal with it is like similar to the bear film, just to spread awareness about different conservation issues and try to spread my love for for these animals and in the natural world. Um, and then. And yeah, so that's kind of like the motivation behind it. Um, and it's been super fun. I'm trying to put one out every, every two weeks or so, but I'm kind of realizing that, that that's like kind of a tight deadline for, for wildlife stuff. Um, especially cause you can't really control, control what's happening. Like right now I'm out in, in Hawaii trying to do a lot of ocean stuff and, um, uh, I'm getting into a lot of underwater, underwater, um, animals and like, it's so up to up to the elements really it's like uh, for the past few days the water conditions have been super murky and you can't really go out and film um you can go out but it feels super sketchy when you're out there and you can't see anything um and then you can't film anything because yeah. the water's murky and everything um so it really all depends on on um on the conditions and when the animals want to be filmed right it's like any of these animals, if they don't want to be filmed or if they don't want to be around people, they're, they're gone and out. So it, you got to have the right intentions. I think the energy that you put out, um, when you're out there trying to spend time with wildlife is super important. Um, and they'll kind of reflect that. Um, so yeah, the, the, the bobcat stuff, uh, they're, uh, they're a subspecies of lynx. Um, and yeah, that, that episode was super fun. I've, I've spent a lot of time early winter this year before I came out here documenting the bobcats. Um, and yeah, they're, they're fascinating animals. They're like, they might, they probably look a little bit bigger in the, in the film than they really are. Like they're, they're only about like 30, 40 pounds, uh, max. Uh, but they're, they're super talented hunters just nabbing gophers left and right. Um, and yeah, that was a super, super fun, fun film to make about the bobcats um, and their hunting behavior. So you mentioned that the waters get murky. I, in my mind, I feel like Hawaii waters are probably always clear. Yeah. Is this murky waters situations something that's very common or is just something that's happens during the winter time that is right now um i mean it all really just depends on conditions it's like if it rains a lot which it rains a lot this time of year uh the mud runoff into the water it turns the water to chocolate milk um if it's really windy and swells are picking up the sand will get kicked up and it'll it'll be a little bit more murky um so it's just it's so variable and the weather patterns right now are a lot a lot more kind of all over the place in the winter time here 
Um, so, so yeah, it's like it rained two days ago today, like it rained pretty hard two days ago and today the water is still a little bit murk. Um, so I haven't been able to go out and film the last couple of days, but I'm hoping tomorrow, tomorrow will be good. And, and I'll be back out there looking for sharks and turtles and cool stuff. That's truly epic, man. Has there been any other similarities you've noticed? documenting these last three animals or are they all been pretty different for the most part i mean all the animals like the three animals that i've that i've highlighted in this series so far they're so different the first one is a land predator the second one was sea turtles and then the humpback whales they're all so different um but it just goes back to the similarities being they're wild animals they're unpredictable you don't know like like it's it's all up to them and so the similarities are are in that in that case where um it's kind of up up to the animals what story they'll allow you to tell and you can go in to these films like with a story in mind but it's really all up to up to the animals um like the whale the whale video um I didn't know what story I was going to tell, tell about the whales. I knew what kind of, uh, like conservation issues that they faced on the daily basis, but I didn't know like really much about them. Um, but spending the last few months out here, um, surrounding myself with people that were knowledgeable on whales and, um, and everything like that, I kind of just started documenting any whale that I ever saw. Like I was just trying to film as much whale um footage as possible and throughout like a couple months uh of filming that i started to get like some repeat behaviors with whales and then like i could take those footage throughout the different days and kind of combine them together to make the tell to tell the story that that um was there for me to tell so so yeah the similarities are are that they're unpredictable and you got to leave it up to the wildlife and kind of see what see what their plan is that's awesome Riley um is there any films that you're working on right now that you're able to share with us that you are hoping to share with us in the upcoming future um so the the YouTube series um I'm working on more episodes for that um I've got a project that's um, that I'm having some meetings about, and that's that's kind of in um, in like the pre-production phases that I can't really um, dive super deep into. Um, but then back in Tahoe, I'm hoping to to make some follow-up stuff with the bears um, this summer, um, and then just some normal uh, client work to keep the bills paid until I can kind of start kind of going deeper into the wildlife space. Awesome, Riley. So one in question I had in mind, I try to get people to think about something long and hard. So for you, if you weren't doing filmmaking and photography, couldn't do it, what would you be doing? Um... Uh, I would probably, I would like to say I would be, um, an athlete of some sorts in like, I, I grew up playing base, baseball and soccer. 
and like throughout my younger years baseball and soccer were like a huge a huge um kind of thing in my life and me and my brother were uh super into into baseball and soccer and i was kind of like our our family was super sports oriented and my brother he's the shortstop for university of arizona right now so he's kind of taken that um to the next level and he's pursuing um pursuing his dreams in in the baseball space and i feel like if if I didn't kind of find a camera, um, I would I would have probably worked a little bit harder in 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 the the the, the sports space and maybe maybe still be playing sports. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I just this is what I want to do. This is what um, I've been doing for as long as I can remember. So um, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. really know what what I would be doing. It, I feel like it'd be something creative though. I always kind of had the, a creative side to me, whether it was music or some sort of art drawing and, and whatever. So I feel like it'd be either something with sports or, or something in the, in the creative space. But yeah. Well, we got that in common, man. I played soccer throughout high school too. And I remember playing against the guys up North. I did club soccer, the whole thing. That's... So that would have been cool to imagine uh, Riley playing sports, but man, the Bears <laughs> wouldn't be getting as much attention without you finding the camera. So that's awesome, man. Is there anything else that you would like to add for the listeners here today? Just some inspirational tips for them starting out. Um, yeah, I would say like when I was when I was starting out, I think the most important thing was just getting out there and doing it as much as possible. Um, it doesn't have to be a big project. It doesn't have to be something that's, that's paying the bills. It doesn't have to be something that's going to change the world, but just getting out there and using your camera and getting everything super dialed in where the camera is just an extension of your hand. And once you find the stories that are important that you want to tell, you don't have to worry about any of that. And you can just focus on the story and um all that camera and all that that time and energy that you put into learning your camera skills in the past um will just make the storytelling process that much easier and uh, produce a much better product so i would say yeah just get out and do it doesn't really matter what it is just go out and make it happen well said i know i told my girlfriend when i'm doing photography video I don't love photography and video because of the technical stuff. I love photography and filmmaking because of the doors that can open for me and the things I can do with it. <laughs> Not just taking the pretty photos and the pretty videos. You're being in, I like being intentional with the things I do with it, whether it's connecting with people like you. I mean, I wouldn't have connected with you unless I've gotten to this industry. And for you, the Bears wouldn't have gotten enough attention if you didn't get into doing, learning the camera. And this goes all back to telling the story. So, well said, Riley. Uh, is, where can the listeners find you at, man? Social media, website, things like that. Where can they watch you? Yeah, so Instagram. I'm probably the most active on Instagram. It's just roaming with Riley with an underscore at the end. Um, and then YouTube is just my name, Riley McClary. Um, I'm starting to get a lot more active on there and trying to build that up. Um, 
And then my website is Riley McClary Media. Um, I can just send you send you links and stuff that you can put somewhere. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me. That's where you'll see all the all the upcoming stuff and behind the scenes of what I'm doing. Awesome. We will link you down below if anybody who didn't catch that. He's roaming with Riley on Instagram. He's Riley McClary on YouTube, but his series on YouTube is Roaming with Riley. So I'm sure if you search that up, yeah, that those three videos would pop up. That's it. Hope you guys stay tuned with his adventures because I'm telling you, you guys are missing out. You guys don't want to miss the next episode, and you guys should catch up on the last three. And if you want to follow more about this podcast, it's the Nick Amp Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you want to follow me about more mountains, adventures, I'm at the Nick Amp. And a quick way you guys can help the podcast out is just sharing it with a friend, leaving a five-star review. We appreciate you for tuning in and listening. We hope that you get the most out of this podcast, learning from other people's perspectives. Riley, thanks for coming on, man. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun.